right. We're, we're going to continue our series called Uncomfortable. I'm sure I made a couple people uncomfortable just because I stood up. I just want to let you know. But when, uh, but when God moves in your heart, you have the freedom to worship how God calls you to worship. And you do that, okay? Uh, we're trying to create a place where it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. So we're bringing all our junk to Jesus. He's figuring that out between us and Jesus and working that out between us. And God be the glory for all of it, right? So we're going to be talking this morning and continuing the series. We started last week, Uncomfortable. Uh, we talked about this idea last week of the dream church. I kind of described a little microcosm of maybe what my version of a dream church would look like. And uh, even though I described a, uh, a building and somewhat, really that's not the church, it's the people. So more had to do with the ministry of the, the people and the people themselves and what, how they would carry themselves and how they would make an impact. And, and I'm sure your dream church would look different than that. And that's okay, right? Uh, because uh, God is working in both of us and working in all of us to to create his bride, but that is the, the beauty of it. We're, we're to be adorned by, by Christ, and we are his bride. We're his body, right? We're his temple. And so this is what God's called us to do. And so we talked about this idea that it's not about our preferences, but it's about knowing God, and it's about growing in a relationship with him. And it's this idea that um, this uncomfortable awkwardness that happens both in our faith and in the church is, is a part of what God's doing to to, to make us more like Jesus. And I, man, thank you so much for singing that song this morning. That was a personal request of mine because that, that song, uh, I don't know what it is about it. It just moves me. And uh, I know I need that every day. I need a lot more like Jesus and a lot less like me. And I hope you're in that same boat uh, because we are, we're all broken. But we talked about this idea last week that when we make our preferences sacred, that's where danger happens, Right. And so what happens is many times in churches, we take things that are just preferences, things we prefer, and we make those sacred. And that, that derails our church. That derails our faith. And so we, we've got to be careful that we don't make our preferences sacred. And we also talked about this idea that anytime our preferences aren't happening, it, it feels uncomfortable, right? It, it, it feels awkward. And so, but God uses all that to change us. In fact, I'll give you a great example right now. Just cross your arms, right? Cross your arms. And unless you're ambidextrous or just a weird person, when you change it the other way, do it the other way. Does that not feel awkward? It does, doesn't it? It's like, ooh, okay, right? So the, the reality is God uses that uncomfortableness to create change in us. And, and we talked about what that looks like a little bit about uncomfortable faith and then uncomfortable church. And so we're going to con con kind of continue with that idea, but we're really going to focus on this idea of uncomfortable faith. And so I want to throw out the big idea this morning. If you're taking notes, by the way, if you don't have something to take notes, we have pens and we have paper journals in the back. They have spots with Lady Smith. You're welcome to go grab one, get it. I don't care. You can do it now. Uh, and, and go grab them because I know this, that you will remember 80% of that what you write down. It's not that my sermons are that great. It's that we're teaching God's word, and God's word's that great, right? So uh, make sure you're doing that and, and, and reading through. And, of course, we're, we do sermon-based small groups, which means basically we take these ideas that we're talking about out of Scripture, and then we share and discuss those things and uh, just kind of 
kind of, if you will, mill them over, or maybe kind of, if you imagine hot water and a tea bag coming together, it makes tea, it's something different, and it creates and stirs in us, steeps with us, difference in our life. And so uh, that's what we do in small groups, and it's a great opportunity to both build community and grow in God's Word. Um, I want to share the big idea this morning, and this is how it goes. We should expect uncomfortableness because the crucifixion and what Jesus did on the cross is at the very center of our faith. It's at the very center of our faith. Jesus came not just to be born in a manger, not just to heal people here on earth, not just to be a great teacher and a prophet and a priest, but to be the wounded victor, to be the perfect lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He came to die on a cross for me and for you. And to take away that cross is to take away the gospel. And so we need to understand that the the crucifixion is at the very center. In fact, Paul says it like this. For I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.2. See, we, we should look to Jesus in an example of how to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, And this is the work that he is doing in us because we can find comfort as we'll wrap the series up in a few weeks. It's this uncomfortable comfort that God ultimately gives us through this uncomfortable faith and uncomfortable church. God uses it to comfort us. And so we need to understand that at the center of the Christian faith is the cross. And ultimately the cross was an execution device. It was an execution device. Think about that for a moment. I mean... The Romans did not create the cross or the crucifixion, but they perfected it. It It's gruesome. Uh, We're talking about uh, taking spikes in your wrist and in your feet. Even before that, we're talking about being beaten and whipped with a cat of nine tails where they have little bones and glass and rock and stone in it where it would rip the sides of Jesus and be pulled off and just fillet his back open. We can't imagine if anyone's seen the passion of Christ. I think that definitely scratches the surface, but I think it was even more gruesome than that. A man, his, his beard plucked out, thorns put on his head. And listen, he didn't just do that to do that. That was our sin that put him on the cross. It was the wrath of God in rebellion because we're not born into the family of God. We're born in rebellion through God. We have to be born again into his family. He explained that over and over when he was here on earth. And so this idea that he took the punishment on the cross for me and for you, he bore it. And understand, this is an example for us that the cross is a method of execution, a brutal one at that. But understanding that if we're going to follow him, there has to be sacrifice. In fact, Mark 8, 34 says this, And calling the crowds to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, he must let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Think about that for a moment. He was literally telling his people, his followers, that if they were going to follow him, they had to die to self and take up this idea of almost being dodged to self so deep that you would be willing to lay down your life for him. And think about this. Jesus did that while we were still enemies to him in rebellion. And he came not to somehow bring condemnation, but to save us, right? To to rescue us, to adopt us into his family. This is what we see. See, the most important truth sometimes is the easiest to forget. 
The good news is the news of the cross. Jesus died for me and for you. He took our place. That, was, that, that wrath should have been poured out on us in rebellion toward God. But Jesus did it for us. I love what D.A. Carson says about Paul. He says he cannot talk long about, or he cannot long talk about uh, Christian joy or Christian fellowship or even Christian doctrine of God or anything else without finally tying it to the cross. Paul is a gospel-centered, he is cross-centered. That's what we see all through the New Testament, all through the writings to the churches. We see a cross-centered gospel. See, God provided mercy to us through the cross. And Jesus took that punishment. It, it, it says that no one took his life. He laid it down. He could have called down legions of angels, the scriptures describe. But he knew he came for the purpose of to do the will of the Father. And that is to provide a bridge, a way back to the Father to have a relationship with him. See, what happens many times is when we don't have a cross-centered life, these are some of the things that begin to happen to us. These are some of the symptoms. We often begin to lose our joy. We begin to lose our focus. We consistent, we, I'm sorry, we're inconsistent in growing and in, in maturing spiritually. We, our love for God begins to lack the passion that it once had. We, we're always looking for a new technique or a new experiment or some type of new truth that will somehow put all the pieces together for our faith. But, but the reality is this. When we begin to le learn to live a cross-centered life, these are the things we begin to happen for us. One, we begin to break free from the joy-robbing legalism thinking and living. See, many times people think when we live a cross-centered life that we, it's, it's all about the things of the flesh. And that's true. But I'm going to really focus on some things that maybe we don't focus on in church sometimes because the reality is we, we walk in these doors and we think everybody understands the gospel. But the reality is many of us are just basing on our own works that somehow that's going to get us to heaven or these do's and don'ts or this list. And that's not the reality. The reality is through the finished work of Jesus and him alone is your salvation. So it, break, it breaks us free from the joy-robbing legalistic thinking and living. It also leaves behind the, the crippling effects of guilt and condemnation and shame. The scriptures make it very clear for those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation. There's no shame. It also stops basing your faith on your emotions or your circumstances. And it also helps you to grow in gratefulness and joy and holiness when you have that cross-centered life. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Following Jesus means denying ourselves and taking up a cross and following him. Philippians 2, this is a great text of what Jesus did for us and how he, how he lived his life. And this is an example for us. It says, Philippians 2, 1 through 8, it says this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, listen, any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy of being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambitions or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours, listen, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You hear that? 
This, this is the gift. With salvation, you get the mind of Christ. You get his spirit. You have the ability now to walk in him. The, this mind in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count an equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Listen, this is what example that Jesus has for us, that we need to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him. So let me ask you this question. What defines you? Or, or who defines you? Is it, is it the gospel? Is it the, is it the work of Jesus? Is it the cross that defines you? See, taking up your cross may require us giving up our autonomy, our consumer mindset, our pride, our power, our cultural uh, respectability, even our health, wealth, and comfort. But the reality is, who defines you? Jesus doesn't say that we may take up a cross. He says we must take up our cross. What defines you? Who defines you? See, this is the reality. When we allow our hearts to drift from a cross-centered life, these are three tendencies that we find ourselves falling into. The first one is this, this idea of legalism. You say, well, well, that that doesn't make sense. Absolutely makes sense. You look at the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, all the religious leaders. In fact, every time Jesus rebuked anyone, it was always in the religious sect. It, it was not the common person. It was not the, if you will, the Gentile. It was not the person who knew that they were sinners. It was the ones who thought they had their act together, right? And so this idea of legalism is, is really basing our relationship with God on, listen, our performance, our checklist. And it could be the list that we make up in church, it could be the list that you made up in your mind. And by the way, you don't have to be, relig- be religious to be legalistic. Do you realize that? You could be just based on morality or your own code of ethics, right? I hear people all the time that are atheists, but they talk about being moral, right? Why do you need morality if you're an atheist? You have one, no one to answer to, right? So, understanding when we when we talk about these are tenets the other one is this idea of condemnation it's being more focused on our sin than on god's grace this is idea that we 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 play this victim we 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 say woe is me god can never forgive me whatever i've done is is too big to be forgiven too too big to be covered by the blood that's a lie let me tell you something the drop a blood of Jesus covers all your sins. The perfect lamb who takes away the sins of the world. There is not one person has gone too far from the grace of God. The third area we fall into this is subjectivism. Basing our view of God, listen, on our changing feelings and emotions. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. All three of them are narcissistic in nature. Because every one of them puts us back at the center of our universe. It puts us back on the throne. Wow, one, legalism, we've got to add to what Jesus did, right? It's not quite enough. Condemnation is, oh, well, my sin's too big, so I'm, I'm bigger than God, right? Or even the subjectivism, this idea that, oh, my emotions come and go, and, and circumstances of God can't forgive me, right? It's, again, all about putting us at the center We need to step down off the throne and allow Jesus to be on the throne. That's what it means to follow Jesus. See, Galatians 6.14 says this, 
But far be it from me to boast, listen, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says, listen, it doesn't matter if I got something to brag about or I have nothing to brag about. Either way, it doesn't matter. It's all about the cross of Christ. It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel, not about me. And that's what we need to remember. See, legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience to God. It doesn't work like that. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God that no one can boast. That is the gospel. Legalism thinks it can earn God's approval and forgiveness through personal performance. Legalism claims that the death of Jesus on the cross was either unnecessary or insufficient. Let me ask you something. Are you a plate spinner? I remember growing up and there were different shows that were like variety shows or different things like that that would come on and people would do magic or illusions, stuff like that. But then every once in a while you get this old school guy that would get up there and do like juggling and different things and you had these plate spinners, right? And we were fascinated. We start with one and they're on these little fiberglass-like poles, and they're spinning. They go around shaking them, get two going, three. Next thing you know, they got a dozen or more, right? And they're spinning them all around. That's where we can find ourselves in this, is this thing when we're trying to follow Jesus. We, we think it's all about spinning plates. Get them, but, but the reality is what would happen? Eventually, even if he could get a dozen or two dozen, eventually he would run out of time, right? He couldn't keep all the plates spinning. Why? Because in the end... You can't save yourself. You can't clean yourself up. You can't rescue yourself. That's why you need Jesus. And many of us find ourselves in this journey and we begin to spin plates. See, God came to rescue us from condemnation, from guilt, from shame. When you picture God's attitude towards you, what do you think? Do you think this idea that he's just up there constantly disappointed with you? constantly trying to catch you in something or do you do you see a god who's a loving father that delights over you that wants the best for you let me tell you something man i i experience our earthly father love and i cannot imagine and grasp a heavenly father's love i know how much i love my girls and i want to see them do well and succeed hope and i were on a little date the other night and we kind of came back a little early and we just walked around I have a little two-acre lot. I just walked around the big driveway. And I had been asking her what, what she wants to do this year and what's her favorite place to visit. She said, Daddy, what's your dream? I just said, I want you and your sister to follow Jesus. I want you to live for him, whatever he calls you to do. do. Sing, be a surgeon, uh, be a stay-at-home mom, whatever. But I want you to follow Jesus. That's what I want. Do you understand that you have a heavenly father that dreams, credible dreams for you? He wants to see you be the man of God, the woman of God he's called you to be. In fact, he wants you to be fully alive, and you can't do that apart from him. He's called you to live for him. Listen. This attitude to understand that God loves you. See, there's two big words I want to share with you in this idea of uh, uh, based around salvation theology. It's this idea of justified. So let me, let me explain what that means. Justified is to be declared right before God. The Bible says that we're all sinners. We're all like sheep gone astray. And listen, 
the penalty of sin is death. That means eternal separation from God. I can't imagine on my lowest of lows days, but to be separated from the presence of God for eternity, right? Where it literally says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But listen, it says this, that when we receive Jesus, we are declared righteous before God, not because of our righteousness, because of the work of Jesus. He transfers his sinless record to us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin, I'm sorry, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So it's to declare you perfect before an almighty God. It's to settle the accounts. It's to absorb the wrath. That's what he did. The second word I want to share with you this morning, this idea of sanctification, is the process of becoming more like Jesus, just like we talked about this morning. So working our way into holiness. God is holy, we're to be holy, but we're to be more like Jesus. If you want to know what it's supposed to be more like the human being that God created you to be, Jesus is the perfect example. Men, tonight, men of valor, we're going to talk about some of that. Listen, there's nothing, men, you can do better for your wife, for your girlfriend, for your kids, for your parents, or your coworkers, your class, whatever, is to be more like Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. People think Jesus is some pale white guy that was a wimp. He wasn't that. He went to the cross. Most people would have died of discouraging. He went to the cross. And he didn't have to. He was a carpenter. I don't know if you shook some of the guy's hands around here. Sean about breaks my hand every time I shake it. I don't know what he does for a living, but he, he's got killer uh, grip, okay? I've been around a lot of mechanics. I was a machinist for eight years at the shipyard. Listen, he was a man's man, but listen. He also loved the Father, and he was tender to those who experienced injustice and needed mercy and grace, but he stood and opposed those things that were evil. And listen, we need more men like that. I hope you'll come out tonight and enjoy that time, and you don't have to hug anybody if you want to, okay? I'll, I'll try, probably try to hug you, but if you don't want to, it's no big deal, all right? So, uh, but listen, this is... This is the problem we get into when, when, when we try to mix up justification, justification and sanctification. What I mean by this, I love the quote by Sinclair Ferguson. He says this, this is where we, we, we struggle. We try to smuggle our character into God's work of grace. There's no blending there. We're saved by grace through faith. Plus anything. Is trusting in Jesus alone. So let me ask you something. Are you, are you allowing condemnation to come into your life? Are you allowing the enemy to shame you? Because listen, the scripture said this in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you, do you relate to God if you were, as you will, maybe on permanent probation? You're allowing condemnation to slip in your life. Or, or maybe you, you maintain a, a respectful distance there in worshiping him. Or, or maybe when you're reading or hearing scripture, instead of hearing God's mercy, you hear his condemnation. You, you understand the enemy whispers in our ear condemnation all the time? Listen, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Preach the gospel to yourselves. Preach the cross to yourself. See, many times we fall in these ideas of we feel, but what we feel isn't real. 
So let me, let me encourage you. There's a reality that each day we face, and it's two simple choices. It's this. Either we can listen to ourselves and our constantly changing feelings and circumstances, or we can talk to ourselves about the unchanging truth of who God is and what he accomplished for us at the cross. I'll never forget, Michelle and I were dating, and we were at Liberty, and I didn't get permission to share this story, but uh, we, she, she was living in an apartment with another girl on top of the mountain, uh, backside, and I got off work early or something, I can't remember, and so I saw her roommate coming out, and I was, I was kind of saying, don't say anything, I was going to kind of scare her, I, I used to do that a lot until she got really scared one time, and I don't do that anymore. Uh, plus she has a couple guns now, so I don't do that, but anyway, uh, you ever hear I got shot, it was my fault, all right, so, but I hear her talking to somebody, and I'm like, what is going on, then she kind of started talking about it, it was like, she was talking to maybe a friend, and then almost like I thought it was a guy, and I was like, what the world, I said, who's in here, right, I didn't realize she was actually talking out loud to herself, and she was reinforcing whatever, I don't know, but she does that occasionally, and, and, and what I'm saying is, we should talk to ourselves, okay? We should. Let me, let, me, let me tell you what I mean by that. Listen, listen, listen. The cross-centered life starts with biblical thinking, and this is where we find ourselves in. The reason we, 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 we listen to ourselves because we're not listening to the voice of God and the Word of God, but we need to speak the truth of the word of God and the gospel and the cross over our life. Let me, let me share with you, if we're going to live biblically, we need to live that out and speak it over ourselves. We allow our feelings to guide our thinking, but this should be reserved for God's word, not our feelings, not our emotions, not our circumstances. This is what I mean when I say preach the gospel to yourself. One, we need to know the gospel. God created us. He created us for a relationship. Our sin separates us. Sins can never be removed by good deeds. Paying the price on the cross, Jesus died for our sins. Everyone who trusts in him will have eternal life, and to have eternal life is to be with Jesus forever. That's a simple. That's the gospel. And you, you cannot fix that. Only Jesus can do that. We need to pray the gospel. We need to know the gospel and pray it over our kids' lives, our lives, our spouses' lives, our friends, our classmates, our teammates, our co-workers, our neighbors. We need to sing the gospel. I love it this morning, singing the gospel. We need to share the gospel. We need to share it with people around us. Listen, and I'm not talking about being some big Bible thumper. I mean, just saying, listen, I was broken. I was jacked up. I, I needed Jesus, and he came and he rescued me, right? Simple. I love the greatest testimony is that the blind man who was blind, but then he could see, and the Pharisees are so upset. And he goes, look, you figured out what was right or wrong. All I know is I was blind, and now I can see. That's a simple testimony. Share it. Listen to this. Also, listen to this. This is the one I'm really going to hash on next week, but I'm going to finish out on this. Have gospel-centered relationships. You need gospel-centered relationships. You know why? Because you need people around you to sharpen you, to push you toward Jesus to practice the gospel with you, to practice it with them. I, it was only because of the grace of God. When we got, we got married early on, God just surrounded us with couples. Most of them were around our age, some were a little older. But he just surrounded us with couples. And you know what we learn? 
We learned with those couples that this is what we could do. We had couples that would push us toward Jesus, always encourage reconciliation and forgiveness, right? And to have a short memory about that and to love each other through the gospel. And I'm telling you, that was the grace of God. That's what kept us together for all these years is practicing the gospel. So I want to encourage you this morning with this big question. Are you living a cross-centered life? Are you living a cross-centered life? Is, is, is Jesus and his crucifixion at the center of your life? Listen, he didn't just die. He rose again on the third day, defeating destiny in the grave and giving us hope of eternal life. But understanding that we have to die to self and live for Jesus. Understanding that we have to walk by grace through faith, not of ourselves. This understanding that we have to live out the gospel with ourselves and with others. We stand. You say, Pastor Rick, you're here this morning. You say, that's great. That sounds great. But I don't know how to begin that relationship. How do I begin? The Bible makes it very clear that if you confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. It's a matter of believing and confessing. Those things that you really truly believe, you live out, don't you? It's a testimony this morning. Those things you really believe in, you walk by faith. And you live out. Would you come today? Would you give your life to Christ? Would you begin that cross-centered life? Listen. You can, you can put all kinds of stuff. Mostly we end up putting ourselves on the throne. But you can try to put whatever you want, but the reality is only made for Jesus. He should be the king of your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. And God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, God, that they would make their way down the front, talk to some of these uh, couples or individual, or maybe find me or one of our other uh, men or women around um, and talk to them that they want to begin a relationship. And again, it's just as easy as the fact that you have to put faith in the finished work of Jesus. Not that the, what he did was easy, but the fact that it's by grace through faith. It's nothing we earn. God, if we're here this morning, we know you, but we've slipped into this subjectivism based on our emotions or legalism or God, that we somehow are falling under condemnation, even though we've repented, we still believe the lie, the enemy, that we're not forgiven. God, I just pray that you would break us free and allow us to live by your grace in the work of Jesus on the cross. Father, do what only you can do and change hearts and lives eternally. In Jesus' name, amen.